in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 59 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andrew Baggerly. But, however, this is a first in Bags and Brisby history. We have a guest. We have someone who is coming in to talk more than Bags, more than Brisby. We want to hear from this person. We don't want to hear our own voices, right, Andy? Uh, well, we've only done 59 of these, so if if we're sick of each other's voices, we probably have good reason to. But we do have a special guest, and I'm very, very, very happy to have Chris Haft on the line. This is Chris Haft. He is a MLB.com writer. He's been a giant scribe for a long, long time. And he is also uh, an author, and he is he, – he's uh, – Co- how would you say it? co-written a book with Mike Murphy about Mike Murphy's six decades with the Giants? I guess you could use the term collaborated. <laughs> collaborated. Okay, yeah, you've, you've got a book coming out uh, May 12th. It's From the Stick to the Cove, My Six Decades with the San Francisco Giants. Uh, it's a book, Mike Murphy, clubhouse manager, local legend, and I, I've read it, and it is as chock full of stories as you would expect. How did this all come together, Chris? You know, rather simply, Grant, um, Murph approached me. I had written my uh, a previous book, um, uh, Triumph Books. My publisher has a series called uh, if, Th- if These Walls Could Talk. And they have they used various teams. And what they did was they used writers or broadcasters from various teams to talk about these teams. And, uh, you know, as insiders, as experts, that sort of thing. And they asked me to do one on the giants. Um, and it took me about 15 seconds for me to, to say, yes, you know, <laughs> they're, a, you know, the giants are a team, you know, which I followed as a, as a young man, as a boy and, uh, all the way through adulthood and, you know, being and ending up being a beat writer, beat writer covering them, I of course had to throw off that cloak of fandom. But uh, it, in a way, in some ways, maybe it helped because it gave me, uh, because I, I came at it through a perspective of a guy who, you know, I was lucky enough to see Willie Mays play. I was lucky enough to see Willie McCovey play, sure. Juan Marichal, Gaylord Perry, all those guys, and I knew what what uh, as corny as it sounds, what greatness was. And so I could, it enabled me to compare, um, you know, this team to sometimes to those guys, especially as, as they were, as the current team was advancing toward, you know, greatness themselves with three World Series titles in five years. And so Murph read my little compendium, I guess you'd say, of the Giants. And for some reason, Murph liked it and, <laughs> and asked me, asked me to do, um, to, to collaborate on his uh, autobiography. And so uh, once again, it took me 15 seconds to say yes. I um, recall seeing a video interview of Pat Gallagher, the uh, Giants fine uh, ex-marketing guru who uh, 
Andy wrote a very excellent story on during the off earlier this off season about how to market the Giants. Great story, Andy. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> and uh, anyways, in, in that interview, Pat Gallagher said, "I think Murph would pay people not to write a book about him because he's got so many <laughs> stories and so many secrets." And right. those words echoed in my mind as uh, Murph asked me to write write this book with him. So I said, "Sure." And as it turns out, you know, Murph, Murph, the clubhouse guys keep their jobs for 30, 40, 50 years by keeping secrets. They don't, sure. they don't tell stories out of school. They don't reveal a whole lot. Otherwise, there'd be a whole lot of libel suits and divorces. But right. uh, um, <laughs> it, and there, aren't, there isn't anything really startling in this book, I must admit. But, I just, um, I, but Murph is one of the people, I guess, to kind of get to know him after all these years. And he had a few, he just felt like telling a few stories and, uh, and mostly innocuous, largely innocuous ones. And, uh, that's what we did. No, I, I mean, I, I, I read it and I, right away from the forward, you've got it, the forwards written by a guy you've probably heard of, Willie Mays. And so he's <laughs> writing about what Murph means to him. And right away, I, I'm not sure if it's the first page or the second page, but he says, uh, quote, but I still laugh when I think about taking him to Frank Sinatra's house in Palm Springs for dinner in the mid-1960s. <laughs> it was a surprise visit for Murph, who loves Sinatra and his music more than anyone I know. And I'm thinking, all right, wait a minute. We've, we're kicking this off with the hint that it's Mike Murphy and Willie Mays at dinner at Frank Sinatra's house. It doesn't get cooler than that. I mean, I don't... It, Andy, do you have a story about dinner with Willie Mays at Frank Sinatra's house? Uh, well, every other Sunday. I mean, in the off-season, of course, because that's the only time we could get together. And, and Frank would get on the on the piano, and he would start singing, and we'd finally have to t- shut him up, you know. Um, I think but, it'd be you know. funny if he, like, he got on the ukulele. <laughs> no, that that would be... Uh, he could be like Elvis. He could have his, uh, like, Hawaii theme, his Hawaii movies. Um, but no, I mean, that that is a tremendous story. And, and it doesn't surprise me, knowing Willie and, and knowing uh, Murph, and I can... I can testify to, to many uh, uh, mornings before day games uh, in the Giants clubhouse when uh, the players have turned the uh, the music system over to Murph because he plays Sinatra every single time. If you ask Murph a hundred times, "What do you want to play today?" he'll play <laughs> Sinatra, and it's great. It's just it's uh, it just gives the clubhouse a nice easy going vibe, and and that's probably the only only time that Murph will sort of. Um, uh, insinuate himself into a conversation or put himself out there because he he just loves being in the background so much. You know, I'm not going to give away every juicy anecdote because there's there's too many in the book, but one of them is also that when they sent uh, Sinatra uh, an honorary jersey and Tommy Lasorda got mad and Tommy Lasorda said, how can you do that? He bleeds Dodger blue. You can't just do that. And so when Sinatra came out to throw a first pitch, they got him a very nice Giants jacket that was inscribed with Francis Albert Sinatra, honorary coach, just to cheese Lasorda off. And I love that. That's just that. <laughs> that's ju- That's the kind of juice I need. I don't need the tawdry tales. I just want the little tidbits like that that make me smile. Yeah. yeah. People who are lucky enough to enter the visitors clubhouse at Oracle Park uh, can look at can see a photo of Sinatra in that uh, that's gi- that Giants uh, jacket, I believe. Um, there is a photo of Sinatra in there with the. Uh, I think, I think he's standing with Lon Simmons, and uh, hmm. yeah, it doesn't get much better than that if, from a, if you're from a Giants fan's perspective. 
<laughs> hey, Chris, what was the process like for you um, writing this book and, and talking to Murph? Did you guys just, uh, like, how many times did you sit down and, and um, you know, uh, how, how long did the interview process take? And what, was it, did you have to really sort of pull stuff out of him or, or was it pulling the string in his back and, and letting him go? I would have to estimate. These are all estimates, Andy, but uh, yeah. I'd, say, I'd say about maybe we sat down 20, I, between 20 to 25 times wow. around that. And uh, sometimes it was for, sometimes it was, it was for as brief as 10 minutes or something like that. But sometimes it was a couple, close to a couple hours. Um, we did a lot this, um, I guess each of, the, each of the last two off seasons, I can date the process back to 2018 because I remember just being horribly disappointed I mean, I, I was saddened, saddened for more reasons than one when Willie McCovey passed and Peter McGowan passed. And those were two voices who would have a lot to say about Murph and uh, they were gone suddenly. So uh, I know at that so I can remember that tells me that at that point I was you know, working on a book intently. But there, there still were no shortage of people who wanted to sing Murph's praises. And that was part of it. The last chapter of the book, I want to give a jump ahead to i don't want to preempt anything you guys might want to ask but uh i just all i have was about 20 that last chapter is about 20 25 maybe 30 quotes or i should say quotes from 20 25 30 different guys about murph and they all say the same thing murph's a great guy but each of them says it in a different slightly different way so you get this you know mosaic or yeah, uh, uh, if you will, of uh, of what makes Murph special to them and what has made him special to the to the Giants. Yeah, I mean, you could tell just how special he was uh, with what they did uh, to honor him in the new clubhouse that they built, the new facility. I mean, we walk in there, the first day pitchers and catchers report, and they had taken his booth from Don and Charlie's that he ate dinner at every night, and I mean every <laughs> night, for how many decades – and uh, probably ran through the whole menu eight thousand times, but that's where he ate every night. And they, and you know, Don and Charlie's closed down, and they, they, uh, you know, they're turning it into a hotel or something. And they took the booth out with like the like the leather banquette and everything, and they installed it underneath the stairwell in in a in the off the main foyer of uh, of of the new clubhouse. And they did it for Murph. But uh, I have to say, it also was very convenient for for writers to to sit at and lounge at and do some work uh, uh, while waiting for a player to come by too. So so we ended up appreciating it as well. But what a cool gesture that was! I mean that that had to just uh, tickle you when you saw that, right, Chris? It did. It sure did. And you know, I wish I wish the deadlines were such I could have wedged that in somewhere. But uh, yeah. that's okay. You know, it's uh, it's not all about that. It's uh, I mean, in in a way, now it'll be like McCovey Cove. People will remember, will have uh, some memory of William McCovey forever, and just uh, just in its own way, you know, the statues or what have you. It's too bad Murph is semi-retired now and you know working less and less. Uh, I, I feel I, I wish the younger players could you know have the chance to uh, to interact with him like uh, the Rich Aurelias and the. Uh, you know, Rob Nens of the world did. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a, it, the gesture of, of the booth seating is fantastic. But I think 
the book real early on at the, the very beginning it's it's you know how do you start a story like this how do you start a story that's basically it spans you know not just the entire history of the san francisco giants but a big chunk of uh, san francisco seals baseball uh how did you decide on on where to start because the way you did start was by you know murph saying how honored he was to receive the first ring after the for the 2010 ring ceremony because there's there's some discussion is it going to go to peter mcgowan is it going to go to willie mays is it going to go to bochi like there's a lot of deserving candidates um and then it was murph and that was like the only way it could be how did you how did you decide to start on that was it sort of like this is the only place we can start the story or was it sort of in competition with with other ideas oh i Grant, I thought real long and hard about this, and uh, I decided to go with a suggestion from my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Her name's Julie Pilosov. She lives in the uh, Sunset District. She's a Giants, died the old Giants fan, and she said, I you know, mentioned the Murph book, and she said, oh, yeah, he got the first ring. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, really? And I remember that night. I remember a lot of details about that night vividly. I did not remember that Murph uh, got the first ring. And Andy, I hope I'm not hanging out to dry here by saying this. I think it makes, I I would hope it humanizes you more with the listeners. I remember you came up to me and you were very emotional, you know, watching, you told me watching, watching Pat Burrell wheel out Willie McCovey in his wheelchair for Mac to get his ring. They gave rings to the Hall of Famers, as you might remember. Yeah. And, you know, it was a moving, it it was a moving moment. And, as we all know, that you know, you can say what you want about the Giants, but they do they do ceremonies very well, and you know that was a that was a poignant moment, and uh, from but having Julie remind me that hey Murph got the first ring, and uh, I uh, said oh really <laughs> you know, and so uh, fortunately on YouTube somebody recorded the entire or videoed the videotaped the entire ceremony and. Sure enough, there's Murph. I just, you know, I had to double check, of course, and uh, you know, so I, I don't take any credit at all for uh, <laughs> for putting Murph for, for uh, organizing things that way. Yeah, no, that was I remember thinking I'm I'm not allowed to start crying in the press box as <laughs> Murph is getting his ring. I mean, I'm just thinking of Bobby Richardson and the line drive and how humble uh, and 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 how. Uh, just what a pure uh, soul that he is, and and to see him uh, finally be have a World Series ring to put on his finger, I just thought was so cool. And uh, and and I thought about Murph. I thought about Murph quite a bit the the night that they won in Texas. Um, and, and in fact, I I remember uh, trying to figure out how am I going to write the game story. And 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 I now I'm going to reveal something about you, Chris, that I hope I you don't mind. Um, <laughs> One of my favorite moments uh, being on the Giants beat uh, was a moment that we had in the rinky-dink, crappy little um, uh, courtyard Marriott down Nolan Ryan Way, oh, yeah. um, which is just walking distance to uh, the ballpark in Arlington, which is about the only thing within walking distance of the ballpark in Arlington. And uh, and you had uh, you had a little scotch, and so I went over to your room, and when we lifted a glass of scotch together. And and we talked about the fact that you know what this is this is the night before Game Five, and 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 the Giants had an opportunity to to clinch, and I said we have the opportunity tomorrow to maybe write a story that nobody of all the great writers and great journalists who've covered the San Francisco Giants they've never had the opportunity to write 
the story that we might get to write tomorrow about the Giants winning the World Series. And it was just a cool thing to experience. Um, and 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 you think, okay, it's got to have all these elements in it. It's got to have all this stuff in it. And I led with Mike Murphy because somebody, somebody stepped on his glasses accidentally and broke them. And I thought, what a night for Mike Murphy to see something he couldn't believe. And he literally couldn't see it. He, could, he was half blind in that dugout because he, uh, uh, he didn't have his glasses. But, but I remember thinking how lucky I felt uh, that the Giants won the World Series after I'd been on the beat for seven years and had at least some context to what it meant to people, to a little bit of the history of the franchise. But that is just a, 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 the briefest glimmer of, of expertise compared to you and your lifetime growing up as a Giants oh. fan, as someone who grew up in the Bay Area. Um, I believe I believe Kevin Bass was the second best player on your Menlo School team uh, since you were the, <laughs> the first. But uh, uh, anyway, I, I just I just think that there's no nobody better to, to write this book, and and there there was nobody better to be on the beat with. So um, I appreciate you, buddy. And yes, very flattering, and I thanks so much. I, I'm almost speechless, except to say your lead was that your lead that night they they clinched was probably a hell of a lot better than mine. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to remember what I wrote that night. It was probably a big jumble. What I do remember was, I'm not to get off the subject too much. What I do remember was, um, um, at one point, uh, Gary Peterson. Do you remember him, columnist from, um, I guess, I guess he was in the Bay Area News Group. Yeah, um, Contra Costa was, at the time. Was, yeah, yeah, he was one. Of, was one of his last um, nights, I guess, as a sports columnist, and because um, he was switching to another responsibility. And he had written a column about, uh, I'm all about the uh, old time guys, the vintage giants. I try not to put them, you know, inject them too much in the stories unless it's relevant. But yeah. uh, he had written something about Dick Dietz, the mule, who, um, you know, I absolutely adored. And so uh, Gary finished up a lot earlier than I did. And he came over to me and stuck out his hand and said, this handshake is for somebody who understands what this night means. And I appreciate that. It was a little later, little, little later on, I had to go use the um, facilities in the men's room. And so I got up and uh, John Shea was hacking away, you know, feverishly at his story. And he happened to see me out of the corner of his eye. And, he, you know, he and I both grew up the same. Had this, we had the same upbringings. We just had them, you know, 30 miles apart. You know, him growing up in Marin, the Marin area and me in, in Menlo Park. And so, except he snuck into Giants games. I paid for my tickets. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, shoot. But anyway, he uh, gave me this surreptitious little fist bump, you know, just as if to symbolize, you know, just for two or three seconds, us, you know, throwing away the cloak of, um, you know, um, objectivity and allowing, you know, reveling in the, uh, you know, the championship. And then I get to the bathroom, the door opens, and out walk Juan Marichal and Tito Fuentes, <laughs> you know, speaking in Spanish. I'm thinking, God, what is happening here? Yeah. <laughs> this really is a charmed evening. And uh, if they were doing broad Spanish broadcasts back in the Dominican or something. So, okay. um, yeah. God, it was, that was, I look back, and it really started, Andy, with you saying the night before, you know, could, could we have the chance to use that that, that designation of the Giants as World Series champions? And uh, I guess the final, uh, I guess, chord or whatever was 
was the parade. Everybody comes back in parades. It's funny, but uh, you know, I never. Maybe maybe Grant has more of a, of a grip on this. I just didn't realize that the you know, the tendrils of the giants extended that far and that deeply with all the the people here. Yeah, no, it's. <laughs> I was still writing as a fan back in 2010. And I just, I, I still had problems believing it. I couldn't go to the parade. I was, I was with my, at the time, my uh, uh, one-year-old daughter. Uh, I guess she just turned two. And so I'm not going to bring her out to the million-plus throng. And I watched it from home. And I, yeah, I just couldn't, I still, it took me maybe like until 2012 to actually appreciate 2010 because it's just my brain broke. And it's just, you're so expecting the other shoe to drop. You're always expecting Scott Spizo. You're always expecting Bobby <laughs> Richardson. You're always expecting a, a, an earthquake or something. And that's actually, I mean, it, it allows me to segue into one of my favorite parts of, of the book, you know, when, and it's, it's a necessary part. And I wouldn't have thought about it, at least not at first, but Murph has this, this kind of catalog of the, the biggest losses the most painful seasons where he's talking about 1989 where he's talking about the pain from from 1993 and he can barely you know there's maybe a paragraph on 2002 he's like yeah i can't really still talk about this now and i think that's really important to understand when you're talking about giants history the pain used to be the defining factor it was like you know the cubs got all the press for the pain but giants fans felt it and felt it deeply and so murph kind of recounting all this is a huge part of the story because you can't understand where the giants went without understanding where they were yeah well <laughs> um i'm having trouble coming up with the follow up to what you just said Grant. that that's um <laughs> um I, I remember andy maybe i may i don't know if you remember this evening we were out um at a uh, place where adult beverages are served after a game and uh we were walking back to the hotel I, it was you me and henry i believe maybe one other person and we passed murph and he asked us uh, the, the giants are on the fringes of the, of the division race the very fringes because this was like you know oh it might have been that old, might have been 09, could have been 05 when they kind of caught, you know, got within sniffing distance of the Padres. And then they won that first game in San Diego and they beat Trevor Hoffman and Felipe Alou said after the game, we beat God tonight. What a great <laughs> I love covering Felipe. Yeah. And so they were mathematically alive in the race, but they faded away. And then, so we we saw Murph, though, after on a night when, you know, again, the Giants were on the fringes of the race and they lost. And we passed Murph and Murph, you know, we stopped to say hi briefly. And Murph said, um, I guess, expressed some pessimism about the Giants' chances. And one of you guys said, God, has he been crying? You know, and uh, not in a negative way at all. But that comes back to, to me when you mentioned, you know, Murph's uh, emotional and investment in the team and you know just the the time he's given just to cleaning up the clubhouse and uh picking up shreds of uh scott garelts's bat as he whacked it against one of the posts in the in the uh, in frustration in the candlestick clubhouse and uh mm. yeah the, the, the dashed hopes of all those those pennant races when they had those great teams but not enough usually not enough pitching you know? Yeah, and, and, um, and then and then finally the Giants win, and I remember going to try to talk to Murph 
after that night in Texas. And, and he was, he didn't want to talk to me. He's like, ah, the boys did it. Go just go talk to the boys. The boys did it, you know? Um, and that was, that was Murph, you know, his, his, I think the, the thing I've heard him say more than anybody, anything else is, ah, I don't bother nobody, you know? Uh, uh, or unless he's, unless he's calling for shoes to clean, then he goes through the, the clubhouse and goes, shoesies, shoesies. I've, I've heard him say that about 8 billion times. Uh, but, uh, um, but you know, one thing that, that maybe, uh, folks don't know or don't realize is that, uh, Murph was the visiting clubhouse manager, uh, Candlestick for a long time. Um, did, I, I imagine he had some good stories about that too, right, Chris? He did. Yes. Um, and he cherished his little times. And, uh, I think a few times he had to swallow his, uh, allegiance to the giants when, you know, the Dodgers would come in and maybe, you know, pull off a sweep at candlestick or something like that. But um, Murph being Murph, Murph loves, number one, Murph loves baseball. He just really loves baseball. Um, I know that hardly sounds like a profound thing to say, but he had that little boy love for it as a little boy. And uh, when he was able to, back in those days, he could, you know, had the row, he had the run of the city. And uh, immediately after he got out of class in high school, maybe he, maybe there were a couple of times he didn't finish classes in high school. He'd run out to Seal Stadium and shag home run balls and batting practice. And then he, but unlike other kids who kept the balls, he threw them back. And that's how he got his job. Uh, <laughs> the, the Seals' powers that be realized, hey, here's a kid with maybe a little bit of integrity, you know, and besides, uh, being a fanatic for baseball and so they hired him as a bat boy and uh so as when he was lucky enough enough to become visitors clubhouse manager you know yeah these other guys wore different uniforms and were trying to beat the crap out out of the giants but you know of course how, how could you not appreciate stan musial and don drysdale and uh, all these guys he you know, waited on and you know talked about. It was quite a crew of ball of ball players who came through the came through the league at that point. Now, what was your favorite little tidbit that you discovered while writing this book? Just just try and pick one because I know there's probably a bunch. But for me, the idea of uh, Murph visiting the Supreme Court, like we know the Giants visited the White House, but going to the <laughs> Supreme Court and talking to Sonia Sotomayor about Orlando Cepeda and how much he meant to her. Uh, that was like my favorite. Just reading that was like, oh, that is the coolest image I've got other than Sinatra and Mays uh, hosting him for dinner. Just the idea of being in the Supreme Court and talking Orlando Cepeda. What was what was your favorite tidbit? Oh, I was afraid you were going to ask this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Make one up. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to go whip it out real quick. Maybe the um, when he couldn't, he didn't recognize John Wayne. <laughs> mm. um, I think this, this follows the Sinatra anecdote anecdotal stuff um for one thing is what Murph was doing at the time was so 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 baseball if you will and so so Murph he was making rosin bags out of sanitary socks out of old discarded sanitary socks you guys know what sanitary socks are I I don't know if I need to explain to the public here the long white socks that people used to wear under players used to wear under stirrups surprisingly have dozens and dozens of uses many many uses I, <laughs> Dave, Dave Rigetti would always take he would take all of his game balls and stick them in a sanitary sock that it would look comically like uh, like a caterpillar you know and, and he'd, he'd sling that over his shoulder and go out with the pitcher to you know to throw in the pregame bullpen or or autograph baseballs you, you keep them in sanitary socks so they stay nice and clean yeah there's uh, and, and rosin bags I've, I've watched Murph make rosin bags uh, out of sanitary socks he, he does it all the time 
time. Um, but anyway, I, I, I took you away from your story. I apologize. No, that's okay. You enhanced it. Um, yeah, we, we've probably seen uh, players maybe sling a few uh, barley and malt-based <laughs> Yes, we have, put, for sure. Put them in, in the sanitary socks. So, yeah, sanitary socks are great things. But um, So, yes, as you, as you said, Murph was, Murph was making rosin bags, and this old grizzled fellow came up drive, driving a really crappy car. A jalopy is the way Murph described it. And uh, it was about mid-afternoon, three o'clock, and uh, the fellow asked, "Are they? Is anybody working out?" And uh, Murph said, "No, they're probably at the golf course right now, or there might be a few guys at the bar." Okay, thank you. And the fellow drove away. Something about the guy uh, bothered Murph. Not that, not that the guy was a not a gentleman or anything, but Murph just Murph couldn't place him. He thought he had met him somewhere or knew him from something, but he couldn't quite couldn't quite put his finger on who this guy was. And so Murph asked another clubhouse guy, who is this? And uh, I said, Oh, that was, that was John Wayne. He comes here all the time. He has a, <laughs> he has a ranch up near, near, near here and here being Casa Grande when the giants used to train there. And Murph was beside himself because he happened to be a big John Wayne fan. And so <laughs> he uh, got cleaned up, rushed to the bar. And there was John Wayne holding court with, um, Oh, Rocky Bridges, who I guess he knew from um, L.A. when Rocky played or coached in uh, for the Angels. And so um, Murph said, oh, Miss, Mr. Wayne, I, I apologize, you know, and up to one side, down the other. I think they ended up having a having a few beers. So <laughs> stuff like that. It's almost incidental. But um, I mean, what I don't know how many other professions there are when you can, you know, just through the course of um, you know the year, just incidentally, you meet people like that. I mean, that's one thing about you know covering baseball. We've been lucky enough to lucky enough to meet a lot of times people who have nothing to do with baseball who fascinate the heck out of you. I think that's John Wayne's fault for not just walking up and saying, "Well, howdy, pilgrim." I mean, he should give it away right right off the bat, you know. But I I had a moment oh. like that covering covering the Angels when Gene Autry uh, owned the team. Uh, I, I remember one time the elevator opened and there's Gene Autry standing right there. And, and I, I didn't even want to walk in the elevator. I was so flummoxed. And he said, get on in here. And, uh, and he stuck out his hand and said, I'm Gene Autry. How the hell are you? <laughs> I'm like, oh. I, I know who you are, Mr. Autry. Uh, and thank you for holding <laughs> the elevator for me. Uh, but yeah, I, I still, I'm still tickled at the fact that I got to ride the elevator with Gene Autry one time. Um, but yeah, I, Murph, Murph has probably met more celebrities than he could possibly remember. I, I got to think. Uh, you know, going back to the candlestick days, especially. One of the things when I was talking to Kirk Reeder in about, and I was doing a story last summer about the shed, is when he's walking through, Murph was his accomplice. Murph was helping Kirk Reeder kind of just get these little pieces of memorabilia on the side. He would reserve it for for Woody, and and this is under the table for Woody, and he'd needle someone. Hey, don't you want to give that to Woody? And that's what made a lot of the memorabilia in, in the shed so special. It's not just just, hey, this is a cool baseball signed by someone. It's like, this is someone who passed through the Giants clubhouse at just this exact moment. And it's like, it's a moment in time, a pinpoint in time that's just like, oh yeah, this is just, all these interactions are just such a rich tapestry. I mean, it's, it's, it's 
funny and it's sad at the same time to think of Robin Williams visiting the, the team in the clubhouse. You know, the things he must have had to say to this old guy. <laughs> I can only imagine. Oh, I remember the remember what, when it was um, uh, the Yankees came for an interleague series and it was a national broadcast and they had Billy Crystal and Robin Williams both at the ballpark reading the lineups for the teams. I, I remember those guys were so – you think, what are these people like in person? Robin Williams was up. He was Funny. He was Robin Williams. And I remember uh, getting to talk to him for like, you know, not more than a minute or two. But it's like this guy is really, you know, as advertised. And yeah, it's uh, that one day a year that he would come come by. um, You were like you looked forward to it. And and it's really sad to think that, uh, you know, that that he's passed on. But um, but yeah. Hey, uh, Chris, can you tell us a little bit about when the book comes out and um, and and where people can get it and uh, and all the all the details? Well, as Grant mentioned, the release date, the official release date is May 12th. I guess some copies are floating around here and there, but uh, not too many. You know, with the virus changing our lives, uh, I don't think a whole lot of bookstores are open now. But uh, the book will be sold where books are, are always sold, unquote. And so if somehow there's a books inc or um, some place like that that is somehow open it's available there the best place probably to, to purchase the book is uh, through triumph books on their website and of course on amazon where i guess almost everything is sold bought and sold these days so um it's readily available to anybody who really really wants it i see on amazon that it's available for for pre-orders as well so so people can pre-order it and purchase yeah. it now chris thank you so much for coming on the book was fascinating it's a great obviously a great subject if you're a giants fan and you don't know the legend of murph this is a great place to start but you probably do know the legend of murph and so this will just sort of bolster it <laughs> i do have a suggestion for your next book are you ready for this one i'm ready all right so while going through some of the nicknames he's given players uh murph stops at greg minton and his exact quote was most of greg minton's offbeat behavior was hidden from the public trust me the man was different and I'm sorry, I get. I need a whole book on that. <laughs> That's where I might skirt the edges of uh, the law <laughs> or breaking the law from what yeah. I yeah no the mood. But <laughs> all right, well, thanks so much for coming on, Chris. And uh, you know, again, the book is called "From the Stick to the Cove: My Six Decades with the San Francisco Giants." It's uh, Mike Murphy with Chris Haft, and I heartily recommend it. So, thanks so much for coming on. Well, thanks so much to you guys for having me. I, I deeply appreciate it. This concludes episode fifty-nine. I guess it's the Andrew Suarez edition of the Bags and Brisby podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back on Thursday. Take care.